Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Some of the actions of some of the apostles or some of the actions of the Holy Ghost through the church. The book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I would that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath all hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. As they spake unto the people, the priest and captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your awesome word today. Speak in and through us, Lord, we pray this truth. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the power of prayer that has been lifted up before your throne. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We come to the first miracle performed in the New Testament church, the first miracle of healing. Uh, this miracle was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is not the first healing that is in the Bible, but it is the first healing that was done by a Jesus name apostolic man. And this man was healed by the gate beautiful. He had uh, lameness in his feet. 
And the Bible says that he was rejoicing as God healed him. And as a result of this healing, the Bible tells us that there will be a persecution that is going to hit the church. Persecution will hit the church and then a testimony of Jesus Christ and also spiritual power will come onto the church as a result of this miracle. So let's look at chapter uh, 3 and verse 11 and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday. So the Bible tells us that the lame man, after being healed, he held Peter and John. He held them. He held on to what he had. There's a lot of people who come and experience great things in God. They come, they get baptized in Jesus' name, they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Their life has been changed, but they don't hold on to that. They come, they experience that in God, and then you never see them again. They don't come back. Thank God for a man who when God did something for him, he appreciated it so that he was holding on to them. We need to hold on to what God has done for us because if we don't, we will lose the appreciation and the wonder of what God has done for us when we were born again of the water and the Spirit. And I will say this, that if you cannot appreciate what other people do for you, then you'll never appreciate what God does for you. See, this man knew that Jesus had healed him. He knew that God had healed him. He knew that. But he also appreciated the men that God was working through there, Peter and John. That's why he's holding on to these men, because he appreciates what has happened to him in his life. How many of y'all today are appreciative as to what God has done for you? Amen. The Bible tells us in the last days, one of the signs of the last days, people will be unthankful. And we live in a generation right now that is the most, I think, unthankful generation that has ever lived. You can do something for somebody, and you know, you probably have, haven't you done something for somebody, and you barely got a thank you out of them. Why? Because they didn't have an appreciation for what you did. And so if they don't appreciate what you did for them, they will never appreciate what God did for them. But this man was not that way. This man was full of enthusiasm. He was worshiping God. He was leaping. He was praising God. He was thankful to the Lord for what God had done for him. And he's holding on to these men because they mean something to him. So today as a church, we need to be like that man. We need to be thankful. We need to be worshipers. We need to be people who leap and praise God for what God has done for us. And we need to be appreciative not only for what the Lord does, but what other people do for you. Because if you do not have a spirit of appreciation in you, if you can't bring yourself to say thank you, when somebody helps you, you'll never appreciate what God has done for you. So this man was not like that. This man appreciated what the Lord had done, and he appreciated these men that God worked through, Peter and John. Aren't you thankful today for what God has done in your life? How many know what I'm talking about? that people today are not appreciative. They are just not thankful. And so we need to change that. If that's you today, you need to get a thankful heart. Anybody does anything for you, you need to be thankful. You need to tell them how much you appreciate what they've done for you. You need to thank them for what they've done. And if you'll do that, that'll spill over into the rest of your life and your walk with God. And you will be appreciative as to what God does for you. So this man was holding on to Peter and John. He appreciated what had happened to, the, to him. Now the Bible says as a result of this miracle, 
the people began to run together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's. They were greatly wondering. Now, the people that are gathering here are Jewish people. They are Israelites. Okay, This is not the time for the Gentiles to come in. These are Israelites. And so the Bible tells us that they gather around because they have witnessed a miracle. They know a miracle has taken place because they knew that man that had lain by that beautiful gate who was lame from his mother's womb for 40 years. They knew that man. They saw that man carried there day after day and placed there among the rest of the beggars at the beggar's patch. They saw that man with a ten cup mentality asking for alms. They saw that man when God healed him and caused him to leap and praise God. They saw that miracle and it caused them to wonder. It caused their eyes to pop out. It caused them to move in a state of mind of amazement that they could not explain what they had seen. They knew eternity had come into time. They knew that heaven had met with the earth. They knew something had happened here that was a God thing that only God could do. And the Bible says it just be, it caused them to enter into a wonderment and to an amazement. It arrested their mind as to what had happened here with this man. How could this possibly be? How could this man who was 40 years in this condition now be running and leaping and praising God? Not only his feet healed, his legs healed of lameness, but his equilibrium instantly restored to him. Because if you've never walked or if you've had a hard time and let's say, you went through a time where you couldn't walk after you got the opportunity to rehab. One thing that you have to do is you have to go through rehab to get your equilibrium back. And this man was not only healed in his legs, but his equilibrium was restored to him instantly so that he didn't even have to go through rehab to get his equilibrium back. So it was a supernatural miracle. It was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by Jesus' name man. So when these people gathered there, they knew something had happened that they could not explain. They were in wonder and amazement. They saw this man holding on to Peter and John as they gathered there in Solomon's porch. And then at that point, then Peter begins to preach his second message in the book of Acts. And these early sermons are very, very important for you to get. The early sermons that are preached in the church, very, very important for us to see. So Peter begins to preach at that point to this crowd. The Bible says in verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why are you standing here in amazement? And why are you wondering and marveling at what has happened? You ought to know by your history that the God that you serve does things just like this. You've seen God throughout your whole history work miracles and signs and wonders. And, and so why are you standing here wondering with amazement that this could happen? Amen. Y'all with me today? The Bible tells us as he continues to preach, he says, why marvel you at this? And then number two, he says, why look you so earnestly on us? He had told the lame man to look on them. But now he tells them, why are you looking on us? Why do you think it was by our power or by our holiness that this man stands before you whole? It wasn't what we did and it wasn't how good we were. It wasn't what we are or what we, we could do that accomplished this. It was God that did this. You understand what I'm telling you today? They knew it was God flowing through them. They knew in the name of Jesus, the presence of God was in the name of Jesus. They knew that, so they gave glory to God 
They said, it's not by our power or holiness, it's not what we could do or what we are that this man stands before you whole. They're not, you know, they're not saying they're divine healers. There's only one divine healer and that's God. So God is working through these men, these apostles, these Jesus' name men. And it was in the name of Jesus that He was healed. So not by who they were or what they were or what they could do. They said... The Bible says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, look at this, and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. He said, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God that you claim to worship. Jesus is not another God. He is the one true God of the Bible. He is the God that you claim to worship. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living and not the dead. And He's God is the one who did this for that man. Jesus Christ did this for that man. We're not bringing a new God to you. That's the point. They, he wants them to know right off, we're not bringing a new God to you. The same God that you claim to worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God that has done this. And His name is Jesus Christ. So they keep on preaching. The Bible says He's the God of our fathers and He has glorified His Son Jesus whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate. He was determined to let Him go. He said, you delivered Him up. Now watch this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has glorified His Son. But then Peter gets right to the point and he said, you denied Him. You delivered Him up. You're the ones that murdered the Christ of God. You get this? So he's putting it on them. Now the Bible says, as he's preaching this, this is very important for you to get. Because these statements that he's making is going to take you back to prophecy. When he talks about here in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied, him and the prince of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go, said, You denied the Holy One and just one and desired a murder to be granted unto you. You killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. What he's doing is he's telling these people, these Jewish people, he said, he's letting them know this is the Messiah you were looking for. He is the Son of God. He's God come in flesh. And you took the Christ of God, you took the Messiah, you took the Son of God, and you crucified Him. You fulfill Bible prophecy. Isaiah 52, 53 talks about the servant of the Lord that would come. And so he's saying you fulfilled that prophecy. You took the servant of the Lord and you crucified the Christ of God. You crucified the one that you were looking for. You crucified the one that was going to be sent to you, the sent one that the prophets prophesied. And you took that one that was prophesied by the prophets and you delivered him up and you, you rejected him and you denied him. That very one that you were looking for was the one that you nailed to a cross. And so this is very important for us to understand. And he said, you denied the holy one and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you. He's the holy one. He's the one that you were looking for. 
He's the one that the Bible talked about, the Messiah that would come. He's the just one. Let's go to Isaiah. In Isaiah 32, he's letting them know that this Jesus is the one who would fulfill prophecy. 32.1 Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. When the king comes, he's going to reign in righteousness. And Peter says here in Acts chapter 3, you, des- you denied the holy one and the just one. You denied that righteous one that would come and reign in righteousness. Go to Zechariah 9 9. Prophecy in the minor prophet Zechariah talks about the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is what? just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat the foal of an ass. So when Peter is telling them here in verse 14, you've denied that the Holy One and the just and desire to murder be granted unto you. He's taking prophecy and he's showing these people that this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's the Messiah and He has come. He is the Messiah. These these statements that are being made here are particular statements that are statements about the Messiah Himself. And He's letting them know by these statements that He's making that the very Messiah that the prophets distinguished as the just one and as the holy one, these are titles of the Messiah. He said, this one has come. And He says, you have denied Him. You have rejected Him. Amen. The Bible goes on and tells us in Isaiah 35 another prophecy about this coming Messiah. Isaiah 35, the Scripture tells us there that when He comes, miracles are going to break out all around Him. Isaiah 35, the Bible says, verse 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. When God comes, watch what's going to happen. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dung shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. When the Messiah comes, this is what you can experience. You're going to see the lame man leaping as a heart just like this man right here. You should know that this is declaring to you that the Messiah is come. And He's telling them when He came, they rejected Him. Verse 15. You killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead. Now He calls Him not only the Holy and Just One but the Prince of Life. The Prince of Life. What does that mean, the Prince of Life? He's the author of life. The originator of life. He is life within Himself. He is the one who is leading the rest of the people who will experience resurrection power. He's the Prince of Life. You put out the Prince of Life. You put this one out. This is a title of the Messiah. He's letting them know the Prince of Life has come and you put Him out when He came. The Bible continues... 
He says, you put him out. You put his life out. You killed the prince of life. You murdered him. You crucified him. God hath raised him from the dead. You love death. And that's why you killed him. You love death. That's why you killed the prince of life. Because you love death, you killed him. But he says, God raised him from the dead. Did you catch that? Because they loved death, they killed him. But God raised him from the dead. So we have two sides of it here. We have what man did, and we have what God did. And these are all titles of the Messiah. There's seven of them total that are given here. You killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong. It's the name of Jesus that has made this man strong. It's faith in His name that has brought the results of this man to be strong here. It's not faith in your faith. It's not faith in... Or faith that says, I don't believe reality, mind over matter. It's a faith in Jesus Christ. There's a faith today that's out there in so-called Christendom. And it says, if you can only believe hard enough, you'll get your miracle. But we do not believe in existentialism. We do not believe in putting faith in our faith. You cannot work it up enough. You can't say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And because you keep saying you believe, or because you believe, make it happen. You don't make it happen by what by believing. You understand? Nor is it mind over matter that I go through life and I reject reality. That's Christian science. But there's some people, even in the apostolic movement, that believe in, and they wouldn't say they believe in Christian science, but they believe mind over matter. Or they believe in existentialism, which is faith in their faith. Or if I can just believe, yeah, I'll make it happen. No, you can't make it happen by what you believe. What you believe is what has already happened. It's what He provides. So your faith is not in your faith. and your, It's not mind over matter. Faith is in Jesus Christ. Faith is an object. And He is the object. And your faith is a response to that object, Jesus Christ. That's what biblical faith is. And so he says here, look at it. He said, And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. You know this man. You know for 40 years he's been laying at that gate. And he says, We'll tell you how it happened. You want to know how this happened? He said, We'll tell you how it happened. He said, It was in the name of Jesus. And he didn't. Now listen, the name of Jesus was not a theory to him. The name of Jesus was not a doctrine to him. The name of Jesus was a person to him. So that when they spoke the name of Jesus, they didn't just speak a theory. They didn't speak a magic formula. They didn't just, they didn't speak a doctrine to that man. They, when they spoke the name of Jesus, they knew that Jesus was him. That his name was him and he was his name. When they spoke the name of Jesus, they knew that represented the person. So when they said, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It wasn't just magic. They were, it wasn't magic at all. They weren't working magic there. 
It wasn't a theory they were using. It wasn't a formula they were using. They knew that when they used the name of Jesus, that the presence of Jesus would be there. And as soon as they spoke that name, the presence of Jesus began to flow through that man's body. And it began to touch his bones. And it began to touch his muscles. So it wasn't just, it wasn't magic. It wasn't a theory. When you use the name of Jesus, you don't use it as a theory. You don't just use it as a doctrine. You don't use it as a magic formula. When we use the name of Jesus, we know that that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so when that name was used, that man was healed. Something happened when they said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. When they stated that, this man who 40 years had been there in that, at that gate, beautiful, who could not get in the temple because he was lame. At that beautiful gate, there would have been a sign there that would say, no cripples allowed. No cripples allowed and no heathen allowed. No Gentiles allowed. He wasn't a Gentile. But no cripples would be allowed in that temple. And philosophers walked by and theologians walked by and religious people walked by. Priests walked by. But nobody could get that man in the temple. But the name of Jesus, the power of the resurrected Lord, got him at that temple. That one that you just killed a few weeks ago, this is the one that raised Him from the dead. The one that you murdered on a cross is alive today. He rose from the dead and because He lives today, when we spoke His name, this man came alive. Oh, y'all hear? Uh, this man, he was healed. This man had, had life come in his legs. This man was, had experienced a miracle because in the name of Jesus, they were declaring, Jesus is alive. The one you murdered. The one that prophets pointed to that, and, and called Him various titles. The Messiah that was going to come. This one that you killed is the one that is alive. His presence was there when we called His name. And He's the one. He is the one that raised that man up from that lame condition. And so, Peter's taking this opportunity to preach to them. He said, let them know. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again the third day. And this man that's standing here is a testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. The one you murdered. Now watch this. Verse 16, In His name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I would that through ignorance... He said, I know... He said, when he says, I would that through ignorance... He said, I know that you did it through ignorance. He said, I know when you killed the Christ of God and you murdered Him, I know that you did it ignorantly. He said, I know you didn't know what you were doing when you did it. Now, that could not be said for everybody there in Israel because there were some people in Israel who knew what they were doing. You with me today? They had predetermined what they were going to believe regardless of the evidence. You hear what I'm telling you? So there were some people who knew what they were doing, but when Jesus was hanging on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
So there were some who did not know what they were doing. Peter says, I know you did it through ignorance. You didn't really understand what you were doing, but I'm telling you what you did. You took the one that you were looking for, the Messiah, and you crucified the Christ of God. You took that Holy One and that Just One. You took the Prince of Life. You nailed Him to a tree. And He's the one that's raised this man up so He could walk. Interesting, isn't it? But Peter says, I know you did it through ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. Aren't you glad for this message? Because I want to tell you this. You need to remember this. Jesus, or God, Jesus will come. God will come to anyone. But God will not come to everyone. God will save anyone. But God will not save anyway. God will receive anyone. But He will not receive Everyone. You have to come God's way. You can't just come anyway. Let me say it to you again. God will come to anyone, but He won't come to everyone. God will receive anyone, but He will not receive everyone. God will save anyone, but He will not save everyone anyway. Do you catch that? So when Peter begins to preach to this, what's he doing? He's going to bring them to a place where they recognize the only way they can be saved is through Jesus Christ. He's going to bring, he's putting conviction. The Spirit of God is convicting these people for what they have done. So the Bible tells us, he said, I know you did it through ignorance, as did also your rulers. That's very important. Because what he's fixing to do, he's fixing to say that what God has done for this lame man, 40 years old, who is a type of Israel, old Israel, who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He's preaching to old Israel here. And he's telling old Israel here that if you will believe like this man, you can be healed of your crippled condition. If you will believe like this man, you can be healed of your fallen condition. And Peter is fixing, he is fixing to offer the greatest offer that was ever offered. The greatest offer ever known to man. Because the murderers of Jesus Christ, whom Peter is preaching to at that moment, y'all with me right now? He's telling you, telling them, I know you did it through ignorance. You wouldn't have, y'all here right now? You did it through ignorance. He's fixing to offer them forgiveness. The same Jesus that has healed this lame man, if you will believe like He did, you can be forgiven of all your sins. You can be forgiven for killing the Christ of God. God will take His blood and He'll wipe it all out. You with me? He's telling these people, he said, you know what, you deserve, really, they deserve to die. They should have been brought before the judgment of God and they should have died for murdering the Christ of God. But Peter is bringing them before God Almighty and declaring that Jesus Christ is the one they were looking for and if they would repent of their sin and because they did it in ignorance, 
It's the greatest offer ever known to man that God would offer forgiveness to the murderers of Jesus Christ. That He would take His blood and He would wash their sins away. Wipe it all away. Remove the killing of the Christ of God from their record. If they would just believe like that man. The same Jesus that caused that man to walk is the same Jesus that's offering these murderers forgiveness for their sin. It's the greatest offer ever known to man. It was offered directly to the murders of the Christ of God Himself. Isn't that amazing? They did it through ignorance. That's very important. Because in the Old Testament, sacrifices were provided by God for sins of ignorance. But no sacrifice was provided from God for presumptuous sins. Sins that they knew what they were doing when they did them. There was no sacrifice given for presumption. Presuming on the grace of God. So I'm just going to sin, you know. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm willing to do it anyway. And I'm rebelling against God. There was no sacrifice made in the Old Testament for presumptuous sin. Sacrifice was given though. For sins of ignorance. Are y'all with me right now? And the greatest presumptuous sin today is for you to die without Jesus Christ. To think that you could die without Jesus Christ and be saved is the greatest presumptuous sin that anybody will ever commit. And there is no forgiveness for that presumptuous sin. To think that you could die without Jesus Christ and be saved is presumption that will not be forgiven. Do you understand that? So when he says, he said, I know you did what you did and it was through ignorance that you did this. This is key. You understand? For them to experience the forgiveness of God. And I could go to the book of Hebrews and I could show you that that, is, that even applies to the New Testament church. I don't have time to do that. I've already preached the book of Hebrews to you, but I, it, is, it is in the Word of God. You can't just be presumptuous in your sin. You cannot reject Jesus Christ, reject the Holy Ghost, reject the blood of Jesus Christ, and expect to be saved. Doesn't matter if you were in the church, in the past or not. You have to continue to walk with the Christ of God. You have to con continue to live in the Spirit. You have to continue to, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ because if you don't, to presume that you'll be saved after living in sin is not forgiven. You understand? Because there's no forgiven, forgiveness given to the unrepentant, unregenerate sinner. You understand what I'm telling you? No repentant, no repentance is conditional for forgiveness. Is the condition for forgiveness. If you don't repent, you don't get forgiven. So to die unrepentant is presumptuous. Amen. To think that you're going to be saved anyway. Amen. So keep on walking with God. Keep appreciating what God has done for you. Keep a thankful heart. Don't let bitterness and, and, and the world get a hold of you and, and temptation pull you away from Jesus Christ because you could die and to presume that you would go to heaven in that condition. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us that the sins that were forgiven and sacrifices provided for were sins of ignorance. So don't ever forget that. Amen. So the Bible is telling us here now, He said, I know you did it through ignorance, 
Verse 18, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets, that Christ should suffer, He had so fulfilled. You killed Him. You fulfilled prophecy. God, it was in God's plan. It was in His plan. He knew you would do that. When the Christ of God came, He knew you would do that. And He used that to fulfill His purpose. Now watch this. He said, Repent therefore and be converted. He said, if you, can, if you will repent of that sin of murdering Jesus Christ, if you can repent, if you can change your mind, change the way you think about Jesus Christ, change the way you look at Him, change what you believe about Jesus Christ. He said, if you'll repent of that and be converted, if you'll have an about face, that's what the word converted means. It means having about face. You're going one direction. He said, turn around. Having about face. Turn around. Start heading the right direction. Change your mind about it. Jesus Christ. He said, if you will repent and be converted. He said, something's going to happen for, to you. He said that your sins may be blotted out. This takes you back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, he preached there. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the remission of sins. So you, you will receive remission, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He had already preached that before. So now he's telling them again. He said, repent, be converted. Change your mind. Change the way you think about Jesus Christ. Make an about face. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that they can be wiped off, they can be washed away. The blood of Jesus will come in and wipe that scroll clean of your life. It will remove the blood guilt of the murder of the Christ of God from your hands. You talk about an awesome offer. You talk about a great offer from Jesus Christ. You think about it, if you took Him and you nailed Him to a cross... And then God offered you forgiveness if you would repent, repent, be, and make an about face and be converted. That your sins would be blotted out, wiped off like a scroll being washed clean, ready to be used again. Ready to be written on again. This is the greatest offer ever made to man by God to even the murders of His Son. The Bible says He'll blot out, if you will repent and be converted, He'll blot out those sins. He said, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You're in those times of refreshing. You're in the times of the early rain. He said, you can experience the refreshing from the drought. He's talking about spiritual refreshing. The Lord has come the first time. That's the early rain. He will come again. That's the latter rain. He's promising them though this refreshing that will come on their life. He's telling them this fresh refreshing. Listen to me. This word refreshing, the times of refreshing, literally means a breathing space. He said, I'm giving you a breathing space right now. He said, I'm giving you a period of time right now where you can be forgiven of all your sins in this breathing space. You can experience refreshing from the, the wrath of God Almighty. The heat of His wrath is upon you. But right now, He said, I'm going to give you a breathing space for you to repent. I'm going to give you a breathing space for you to be converted so that you can experience the times of refreshing or the times of a breathing space. I'll give you respite. 
I'll give you opportunity. I'll give you time. I'll give you the, the ability to make a change and to repent. So the Bible says, And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things. He said, This Jesus has gone up into the heavens right now, and the heaven is retaining Him. The heavens are retaining Him until the times of the restitution of all things. Or the reformation of all things. He's letting them know that the heavens right now are retaining Him, but He's going to come back at a specific time. And that specific time is the time of restitution of all things. Get ready for the kingdom age. He's telling them, get ready for the kingdom age to come. He's telling them to get ready for the new heavens and the new earth. He's telling them that when Jesus Christ comes back, He's going to restore everything back to what it was before the fall. But right now He's in the heaven and the heaven's retaining Him. It's holding Him back until that time of the restitution of all things. This same Jesus is going to come back. You have an opportunity right now to prepare for the kingdom. You have an opportunity to be saved. And so the Bible says in verse 21 again, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. He said those Old Testament prophets preached about the restitution of all things. They preached about the kingdom age. They preached about the new heavens and the new earth. They preached about the coming of Jesus and when He comes back, how He's going to restore everything back. But He said it's limited to what the prophets said. When you say restitution of all things, that doesn't mean He's going to restore the devil. It's limited to what the prophets said. See, there's some people today that will tell you that there is no such thing as hell. That that's an old church doctrine that we shouldn't preach anymore. They will, they will get, try to get you to believe that even the devil's gonna be saved. That there is no hell, that God is gonna restore the devil and his angels. They would even have you believe that God is going to restore unrepentant, unregenerate sinners. But the Bible does not, the prophets did not say that He would restore the devil and His angels. The prophets did not say that He would restore unrepentant, unregenerate sinners. So the restoration is limited to what the prophets said. You've got to get that. Because there's some preachers today that tell you that there is not going to be any hell. There's nobody going to be judged. Everybody's going to be saved. Even the devil's going to be saved. And his angels are going to be restored back to relationship with God. The prophets never said that. So the restoration is limited to what the prophets preached and what the prophets said. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So don't listen to the lies of some preachers today. Verse 22. Peter says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. He said, Jesus is the prophet. Another title for the Messiah. He is that prophet that Moses pointed to. He is the prophet that Moses pointed you to. Are y'all here? Watch. Watch this. There's fixing to be a great battle take place in the fourth chapter between two nations. The old nation of Israel that was founded on Mount Sinai under the law, that old nation, and the new nation that was founded on the day of Pentecost 
that's under the Holy Ghost. And that old nation founded on Mount Sinai under the law is fixing to go to war with the new nation founded on the day of Pentecost under the Holy Ghost. There's fixing to be spiritual warfare like the world has never seen. When these two nations begin to fight, the old religious nation of Israel begin to fight the church of the living God. The spiritual warfare is fixing to break out. And he's telling them this. He said, He is the prophet that Moses pointed to. You with me? The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Come on, are y'all here right now? And there's fixing to be great conflict over this. Jesus has fulfilled the ritual law of Judaism. He's fulfilled the ritual law. Hallelujah. And there's fixing to be a war between that old nation and this new nation that has come into existence. And so Peter's telling them that Moses wasn't the prophet. He was a prophet that pointed to the prophet, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I don't have time to preach it to you, but Moses' life, look at his life. His whole life was pointing to Jesus Christ. He was the foundation of all the Old Testament prophets. He was a prophet. The Bible tells us that when Jesus would come, that Moses typified. He was a servant in the house. Jesus was the son over his own house. So Moses typified and he pointed to Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's letting him know. Moses said to you, that there's a prophet that's coming and he's just like me. Are y'all with me right now? He's likened to Moses. Moses typified him. He said, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. This Jesus is not only God come in the flesh. He's not only the Holy One and the Just One and the Prince of Life. He is also the prophet of the Lord. He's not going to bring a new God to you. He's not going to... Come on, somebody. It's not a new God. He's God. He's not a false prophet bringing a false doctrine. He is going to be the prophet of the Lord. He walked as a prophet. He spoke. Watch this. The prophets of the Old Testament said, the word of the Lord came unto me. When Jesus came to the world, He said, I say unto you, he was the prophet. He was different than the rest of the prophets. As a prophet, he walked in the earth. Are you with me? As a lamb, he died. As a priest, he rose. And as a king, he ascended up on high. He is prophet, priest, and king. And so, Peter's telling him, he says, Moses said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. You should be, you should have listened to Jesus Christ. You should have listened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the prophet that Moses was talking about. This is the title of the Messiah. And you took that one that Moses prefigured and pointed to. And you killed him. Watch this. It's very interesting what he's preaching here. So he goes on and he says, in verse 23, It shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So now Peter's focus of the message is this, that if you reject this prophet, if you reject Jesus Christ, the prophet that Moses pointed to, there's no hope for salvation. You cannot be saved, Israel, without Jesus Christ. Nobody can be saved without Jesus Christ. 
You reject Him and destruction is coming to you. That's what He's telling to these people who just got through killing the Christ of God, murdering Him on that tree. He's telling them that they should have listened to Him when He came, but they didn't. But He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one you were looking for. He was the one that was, was going to come. And so now, He's telling them, if you reject Him, you have no hope of salvation. He said, I shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. You cannot be saved outside of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he goes on. He says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days, the days we're living in right now. These are the last days. He's already told them this. With the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, that plunged the world into the last days. It plunged these people into the Messianic kingdom that were born again of water and spirit. And so he's letting them know that the prophets all the way back to Samuel spoke of these days. The days that they were living in were prophetic. These days they were living in were fulfillment time. The Old Testament was the former days. These are the last days. And when the prophets preached, they talked about the last days. And Peter's telling them, you're in the fulfillment time that the prophets spoke of. They spoke in former days. Now you're in the last days. You're in the fulfillment time of what they said. When they talked about the last days, he said, you're living in them right now. The spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ is come. And you've got the miracles and signs and wonders to prove that it's here right now. The Bible goes on and tells us, Samuel, all those prophets spoke likewise foretold of what? These days. Verse 25, you are the children of the prophets. What does he mean by that? You're the children of the prophets? Does he mean naturally, physically? They're the children of the prophets? Were there people there that day that was the seed of Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah naturally? No, he's telling them, you are the children of the prophets because you, what he's saying is, you are the ones the prophets preach to. You are the nation that God sent the prophets to declare the truth to. You're the one that the prophets preached to and prophesied about these days. He said, you ought to have been looking for them. You should have been looking for them. You should have known they were going to come. You should have known it was going to be like this. You're the children of the prophets. You're the one that had the opportunity to hear those prophets preached. They preach to your fathers. You're the children of the prophets. You're the ones that had the opportunity to hear them preach. And the Bible says of the covenant, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the natural seed of Israel? No, he's talking about the spiritual seed. The seed of Abraham, the seed of Abraham according to Galatians is Jesus Christ. The seed of Abraham is the Jesus, is Jesus Christ Himself and those who are joined to Jesus Christ are the true spiritual seed of God Almighty. He's not telling these natural descendants of Abraham, these physical descendants of Abraham, that's, that they're the ones that are, you know, are the seed of God. He's letting us know. It's those who are connected to the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. The word seed is singular. 
Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. And those connected to Him are a part of the seed of Abraham. The Bible says in verse 26, Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, Unto you first, God having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from His iniquities. This is why He came. He came to turn you from your iniquities. And if you would repent and be converted, if you would do an about face right now, you would believe, change your mind about Jesus Christ. He's the one that the prophets prophesied about. He is the seed of Abraham. Come on somebody. He is the one that you were looking for and you killed Him. He said, He'll take away your iniquities. He'll blot out your sin. He for, will forgive you if you'll be converted. Repent and be converted. And then at that point, brings me to the fourth chapter. And as they spake, remember they're preaching there in the temple precincts, the court of the temple. And all these people gathered around there hearing Peter preach this message. And they, he's given seven different titles for the Messiah. And he's letting them know he was the one. And He's the one that you killed. But if you will repent and be converted, God will wipe it all out for you. So I can't hardly... Really, it was hard for Peter, I think, as he stood there and preached to them, that hard for him to believe that everything this nation had that they would miss, the history they had that they would miss the coming of Jesus Christ. But they missed the coming of the one they were looking for because they got their history wrong. And they added traditions to the Word of God and their history being wrong and the traditions being added to the Word of God caused them to be blind to the reality of Jesus Christ when He came. In chapter 4, we got a problem now. I say we, it's not me, it's not you that have a problem. But that old nation's got a problem. Because they're the ones that crucified Him. Offering of forgiveness had been given to them. And the Bible says that they spake to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. The priest, say the priest. And the captain of the temple. Who's the captain of the temple? This is the temple police. These people are the ones who are responsible to keep the, the temple sanctified to keep it from being made unclean in any way. They were the temple police, the captain of the temple. He oversaw the police, those that made sure the temple was sanctified. And the priests the priest at that time were Sadducees. And when we get into this chapter now, we begin to see the first persecution as a result of this miracle and this preaching. We see the first persecution on the church and it comes from the religious world of the day. It comes from old Israel. It comes from that old nation. It comes from a group called the Sadducees particularly. In the days of Jesus in the Gospels, the Pharisees were the ones that were always involved in rejecting and attacking Him. And the Pharisees were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. But when we get to the book of Acts, you don't see the Pharisees very often at all. When you get to the book of Acts, the enemy now that rises up against the body of Jesus Christ is the Sadducees. So the priests come in there, they hear Peter's preaching this message, you know, and they don't like it. And you got the police of the temple coming in on the scene. 
The Sadducees, the Bible says specifically, all gather and converge to begin to persecute the church of the living God. Y'all hear what I'm trying to tell you? The priests of that day were made up of Sadducees, Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was a priest for about 14 years. His relative Caiaphas took the place of high priesthood. Still alive at that day. Am I boring you this morning? The priest of that day, the chief priest and the high priest. High priest at one time, Annas. High priest became Caiaphas. And the chief priest under them were all a part of Annas' family. Sadducees. They were the priests of the day. They were in control of the priesthood. Who are these Sadducees? Who are these people that will persecute the church of the living God? Where do they come from? What is their history? What are they about? Well, the Bible says in Acts 23 and verse 8, the Scripture itself tells you what they believed, or really what they didn't believe. He said in verse 8 of chapter 23, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. These Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. They did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in angels. That doesn't come from history. That comes right from your Bible. And you've got a resurrected Jesus on your hands. And Peter's preaching a resurrected Jesus. And they don't believe in the resurrection. And they're the ones who are in charge of the priesthood. Annas is a Sadducee. Caiaphas is a Sadducee. Who are these Sadducees? Where did they come from? What's their roots? Josephus is the first to make mention of them back in the time. He points back to the time the Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. He tells us that it was during that 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. It was during the time of the Maccabees around 200 years or so in that 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew, uh, 200 B.C., the time of the Maccabees, Josephus lets us know that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes existed. So these people came up at the time of the Babylonian captivity. But who are these Sadducees? How did they get in control of the priesthood here? They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in angels. How did these people become a part of the priesthood. During that 200 years that Josephus mentions the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, the Zadok priest who was the Aaron line, the line of Aaron, the Zadok priest of the Aaron line, 161 B.C., migrated to Egypt and set up a rival temple in Egypt. And many believe at that time when the Aaronic priesthood transferred to Egypt that these Sadducees came on the scene and took over the priesthood. And that these Sadducees are not Aaron priesthood at all. So that Annas and Caiaphas, according to some scholars, were not even descendants of Aaron. The priesthood of Aaron had been had migrated to Egypt, 161 B.C. You can study that historically and find that to be a reality. So it could be that Annas and Caiaphas at that time, they're not even of the lineage of Aaron himself. 
How did they get in office then? They bribed their way in. Because these Sadducees were extremely wealthy. They were the wealthy class. They, they had great power because of their wealth. And they could bribe the Romans into putting them into positions so that the Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest of those days of Jesus and the days of the apostle, were men who bribed their way or bought their way into office. And many scholars today say they do not, they're not even a part of the Aaron priesthood. Some people though say that Sadducee is related to the priest Zadok who was alive in the days of David. And if that's the case, then they are of the line of Aaron. But I think it's very interesting that nobody's really sure one way or the other who these Sadducees are. But we know by the Bible that they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in the spirit or spirits and they did not believe in angels. They were the rational religionists of the day. Say amen. They believed in the responsibility of man. They did not believe that God very rarely, if ever, intervened into the affairs of man. They believed man was responsible for his own actions, which is good to a point. But they did not believe that God intervened in the affairs of man. They believed in the material world, the physical world, the things around them. Not angels, not spirits, not an invisible world. They were rationalists, what they could see, what they could put their hands on. Materialists of their day. That's what they believed. They were not like the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in adding the traditions, the oral traditions of the elders to the law. The Sadducees says, we do not believe in the oral traditions of the fathers. So anyway, just to give you a brief idea of who these people are, they are very, very wealthy and they are very physically minded. They are not spiritually minded people at all. They're more, they're more a political group, really. But they do believe in that Old Testament. They do believe in the Old Testament to a point. We say, well, how could they believe in the Old Testament and not believe in the resurrection of the dead? Because to them, they didn't see the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. But this is who we're dealing with here. So the priests come. The chief rulers come. The rulers of the tribes of Israel. The Sadducees who are in control of the priesthood at that day. They come upon them at this time. And the Bible says... In verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people and preached that are through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Of course. If your whole doctrine and what you believe says there is no resurrection of the dead, and you got men standing up telling them that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, the one they just murdered, and this man is a miracle or a sign that he's alive, that goes against what they believe. It goes against their doctrine. So either the Sadducees got to go or the resurrection has to go. And they decided we're staying, but we got to disprove this resurrection bit. We got to somehow prove that Peter and John are false prophets. We got to prove that this miracle, this sign and wonder is a false sign and wonder. We have to prove that these men are trying to turn Israel away from the God of the Old Testament. And so that's what they set out to do. They don't, come on somebody. 
These Sadducees did not believe that when you died, your spirit went on. That when you died, your spirit died at that time. They didn't believe in a reward or they didn't believe in, believe in judgment that would follow after death. They didn't believe those things. There's churches like just like them today that call themselves Christian. They don't believe in the supernatural outpouring of the Spirit of God. They don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They don't believe in healing. Come on, somebody. They don't believe in the reward of the judgment to come in the future. So now we got a warfare breaking out. Everything they believe is being challenged by this group, this New Testament church. This old nation is fixing to have a confrontation with the new nation. The Bible says they were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in the hold unto the next day, for it was now even time. Now the Bible doesn't tell me if that lame man was put in prison with Peter and John or not. But let's just say that he went with them. You know, I just have a feeling that this lame man went with them because he will be standing with them whenever the Sanhedrin court is called to judge them, to see if they're false prophets or not. And that lame man will be standing with them. So if he stood with them on their judgment day, I believe that he probably was willing to go into prison with them, although it doesn't say he did, because he appreciated what God had done for him and he appreciated those men. So he, they were willing, he, willing, he was willing to go to jail with him if he did go to jail. I do know he stood with them. Are y'all with me right now? Kind of makes me wonder though, you got Peter and John and we got the lame man standing there before the Sanhedrin court. Where's the rest of the disciples? Why didn't they come and stand beside Peter and John on that day before the Sanhedrin court? Made up of those Sadducees and priests. and you know, Where are they at? They were cast in the hole in the prison until the next day. Thank God, at least they, they got a little bit of opportunity. You know, Jesus, they took Jesus immediately and condemned Him to death. They tried him through the night. At least his disciples, they gave them an opportunity to sleep through the night. They probably didn't sleep much, but until the next day, they didn't have to face the Sanhedrin court. The Sanhedrin court was made up of 71 people, 70 rulers and priests, one high priest sitting at the front, sitting in a semicircle, a half circle, with the priesthood, the high priest at the, at the front or the head of it. They would bring their councils together in the temple in a place called the, uh, the Chamber of Hewn Stone. And Peter and John and the lame man walks in the next morning. The high priest and the, the Sanhedrin court, 70 plus 1, sitting there ready to judge any false doctrine that is creeping into the nation of Israel sitting there in the chamber of hewn stone, they bring Peter and John and this lame man and they stand them before them. Jesus had stood there a few months before, a few days before, 40 days after His resurrection, 50 days. So, you know, some time has gone by here a couple of months ago. Jesus had stood before these same people. He had stood before Annas before. 
The same ones that condemned Jesus to death are where these disciples are going to stand. Verse 4, good news. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000 people. That night when Peter and John were in prison, there's 5,000 people getting baptized in Jesus' name and getting the Holy Ghost. He already had 3,000 people as a result of his first sermon. Now you got 5,000. I don't know if that's two, two more thousand added to the three equaling five, or if it's 5,000 more added to the three bringing it to eight. Really doesn't matter to me. I sort of believe it was 5,000 more on top of the 3,000. So within a short period of time, if you can imagine within a short period of time, we got 8,000 believers in Jerusalem. In a short period of time, 8,000 men, besides women, 8,000. Jerusalem is small. It'd be like if revival hit Odessa, Texas. In a few short months, 8,000 people came into this church. Jerusalem is small. It's a beehive of believers now. They're everywhere. They're in the temple preaching. They're on every street corner. The devil doesn't know what to do with these people. They're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're in union with the head. They're part of the body of Jesus Christ. They're everywhere. They are a beehive in a small, small part of the world. Wow. 8,000 men plus five. It came to pass on the mall that their rulers and elders and scribes got them all together. We got the Sanhedrin court. These 71 he says, you got the rulers, that's the leaders of the twelve tribes, the elders, the scribes. Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John. We have the name of the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. These are the Sadducean high priest, or Caiaphas is at that time. Annas is sort of like behind the scenes. He once was a high priest. All of the priests at that time were related to Annas. They were part of his family. They had the money to buy. They had the money to buy the position. The Bible says these rulers and Caiaphas and Annas, John and, John and Alexander don't really know who these guys are. And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, look at that, the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. They are his relatives. He got one big family, you know, the priesthood, the Sanhedrin court. Sadducees, and they're all sitting around in that semicircle, and they're going to judge. They're going to bring judgment on Peter and John. And Peter and John's going to have, Peter's going to have to preach for his life because if he can't prove his point, if he can't prove that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, if he can't prove his point, he's preaching for his life. They're going to take Peter and John out, and they're going to murder him for bringing a false doctrine and a new God to Jerusalem. The Bible says, verse 7, when they set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Notice, they didn't say, hmm, we heard that you used the name of Jesus. 
They didn't even want to give any recognition to His name at all. Let me tell you something about these religious people here today that we're talking about that had gathered there at that Sanhedrin court. They had the authority, the final authority of their day. They had great power. Great power and authority. The only thing they couldn't do, they could pass sentence on you, but they could not kill you. If you were guilty of a crime worthy of death, they could pass the sentence on you, but they'd have to trust the local governor of Rome to condemn you to death. But other than that, they had absolute authority in the nation. They were the supreme court of Israel. They were the religious authority in the land. They were the civil authority in the land. And they were the spiritual shepherds, spiritual shepherds of Peter and John. So they are the religious authority, the civil authority, and the spiritual authority in all the land. And what they say is absolute. They have the final say-so, and they are the ones who have the authority in that land. The council, the Sanhedrin court. And so, here comes Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin courts. These men of authority. Looking at these men who are Jews, they themselves being Jews. The spiritual warfare is about to take place. The two nations are about to collide. There's fixing to be a warfare like the world has never seen. And it's going to bring about the first persecution of the church of the living God. Not by the people of the world out there, but by the religious world within. See, the church's problem is never really out there. It's not there. It may at some point become political. Later in history, it became the political, the government against the church. But right now, I'll tell you, the problem is not with the world out there. We don't have a problem with the world out there. We've got a problem within the church. We got a problem with religious flesh. That's where the problem was. And so now Peter and John is standing in the midst of these rulers with authority. The ones whom Jesus Christ their Lord stood before. And the Bible says that same place. Ooh, glory to God. By what power or by what name have you done this? Judgment is fixing to be passed on them as to whether or not they're false prophets. Are you bringing a new name? Are you bringing a new God? Are you bringing a new power with you? Who did, how did you do this? And so Deuteronomy 13, turn there please. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That Old Testament Bible talks to us here. What's going on there? The Scripture says in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 13, He said, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer, Peter's a prophet, John is a dreamer, 
and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. There's the lame man. And the sign or the wonder come to pass. Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You with me? Verse 5 tells you what you do with that false prophet and that false dreamer. He's trying to turn you away from the true God, from that one true God. He said he will be put to death. So we got a prophet here by the name of Peter, and we got a dreamer by the name of John standing before this Sanhedrin court, and they're going to start, they're going to have to preach for their life. They're going to have to prove their point that they're not trying to get Israel to go after another God. Jesus is that God. They're going to have to prove their point that Jesus rose from the dead. They're going to have to prove their point that they're not bringing false doctrine into Israel to turn the hearts of Israel away from a false God. By what power or by what name have you done this? The judgment's on. The trial is set. The lame man standing there with them. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Empowered. Filled with the Holy Ghost. He knows something supernatural is going on in him. He knows what he's about to say is not going to be coming from his own mind. He knows what he's about to say is going to come from the Holy Ghost. It's going to come from the Spirit of God Almighty. He's going to be preaching for his life. He's going to look them right in the eyeballs. He's not going to say, I think it happened this way. He's not going to say, maybe he's going to tell them, this is the way it is. And when the Holy Ghost comes on Peter, all that Sanhedrin court can do is sit there in silent amazement. Because they know when Peter gets through, when he starts preaching, they know, Annas and Caiaphas know, they paid those soldiers off to lie about his being stole from that tomb. They know they did that. They know, Caiaphas knows Jesus stood before him and said, there's coming a day when you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of glory. You're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right of hand of power coming in the clouds of glory. He's making reference to Himself as the Son of Man. And He's pointing Caiaphas back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 talks about the Son of Man sitting upon His throne in His kingdom. He said, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right of hand of power coming in the clouds of glory. And the Bible says Caiaphas rent his clothes. He broke the law and condemned his own self when he did that. He said, this man commits blasphemy. He's a blasphemer. No, he's the Son of God that Daniel prophesied about. He is the one that is going to come in the right hand of power in, in clouds of glory. This is Jesus. Oh, Caiaphas had already been confronted by this Jesus that Daniel 7 talked about. 
And so the Bible says, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And I want you to see something beautiful about Peter. Even though these men right here, I want you to see, look at this. Look at the response to the greatest offer that was ever given to man. That they, that they could have their sins blotted out if they would repent and be converted. You know what their response was to that message? Take them and throw them in prison. And now, try them for blasphemy. You with me today? Isn't that sad? How many of you know today bring, you bring the gospel to them? And they outright reject it. I mean, they, they'd throw you in jail if they could. They, they just got that, they're full of hatred toward the gospel. Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, this Peter, listen to me, he's not going to defend himself. He's going to preach Jesus Christ. Never one time does he defend himself. He's going to preach Jesus Christ. You with me so far? Well, he's going to preach for his life. The filling of the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He said, verse 9, if, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified... He said, you killed him. The one you killed, the one you murdered a few days ago, is alive. And this lame man is proof. See, we told you he's alive. Look. He's the proof that he's alive. That he's risen. That he's the true king. That He's brought in the spiritual kingdom. That we're a part of a new nation. All they can do is sit there in quiet amazement. He doesn't get unsubmissive but he cannot obey them. Peter in his epistles wrote more about submission than any other New Testament writer. But he said, I'll submit to you, but I can't obey you. I'll serve you. That's submission, but I can't obey you. Now listen to me. He starts preaching. He said, it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised... Oh, He raised Him from the dead. And they knew that these people didn't even believe in the Holy Ghost. They were materialists. They didn't believe in the Spirit. They didn't believe in divine intervention. And they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So you can imagine how they must feel. I mean, they murdered him and he's, and he's risen from the dead. Amen. And, and everything they believe, everything they've taught is being confronted right there. 
Yeah. Hallelujah. How many people today? We don't believe in Acts 2.38. We don't believe in repenting and be baptized in your name and be filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't believe in speaking in tongues. We don't believe in miracles. We don't believe. We don't believe. We don't believe. Sadducee. You're a Sadducee. All you got is religion. And you love your religion. You don't love God Almighty. You love your religion. Now, let me talk to you apostolic Pentecostals. You can get in a position where you love your religion and not love your God. And you know how I pastor you. I am never pointing you to a denominational system because I don't want you to love your religion. I want you to love your God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. They're standing before the religious elders of their day. They're standing before their spiritual shepherds. They're spiritual shepherds. They are standing before the civil, religious, and spiritual authority in Israel. And Peter begins to preach and he tells them, you killed him. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. <laughs> and I, I just I'm, can imagine how, boy, they're starting to get nervous now. You know, they're probably squirming on the pews and looking at each other, you know. And what are you going to do? you got a miracle standing right beside them. And it's a notable miracle. Who can deny it? And why would you want to deny it? Mm-mm-mm. They should have never asked that question by what name or power. They should have never asked that question. Let me tell you something. They made some huge mistakes here. They made a mistake when they arrested them. They made a mistake when they asked them the question by what power or name. They should have never done that. Okay? They should have just left him alone. Verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, even by Him doth this man stand here before you whole. It's awesome, isn't it? How dare them stand up like that to the Sanhedrin court, to the religious authority of the day? How dare them? You understand what I'm telling you? This religious court is going to tell them to not preach in the name of Jesus. And they're going to have to say, we're going to obey God, not man. If religion ever comes to you and tells you, we don't believe in Acts 2.38, tell them, we ought to obey God rather than man. If your husband comes to you and tells you, I don't want you to be baptized in Jesus' name, we ought to obey God rather than man. But He's my authority. God is your authority. Jesus Christ is your authority. That old pagan husband says, I don't want you to be baptized in His name. said, see you later. I'm going with or without you. I mean, you can keep a right spirit. I don't want to get you in trouble or beat up. Say, I love you, husband. I love you. I love you, you know. You're my husband and everything. But I'm obeying God. That old pagan wife puts pressure on you. Says, you get baptized in His name. You start going to that church. I'll quit you. You'll just have to quit me. Because I'm going to obey God rather than me. 
Well, I, I have to obey my pastor even if he's wrong. No, you don't. No, you were taught that. That's not right. You have to obey your pastor. You submit to him. You keep a right spirit toward your pastor, but you don't have to obey him if he's wrong. God is your spiritual head. You hear what I'm telling you today. Hallelujah to the Lord. You see, well, well, my pastor told me to do it, so I had to do it. I know it's wrong, but I had to do it. No, you don't either. You submit, you keep a right spirit, but you don't have to obey wrong. In fact, if you obey wrong, God's going to hold you responsible for that. Give the Lord praise in this house. Oh, there's a lot of religious institutions in the world today that are like the Sanhedrin court. Yeah. You go stand in front of them, they'll crucify you. Keep a right spirit, serve you in love, but I can't obey you. He said, verse 11, he said, Peter said, Keep some preaching. This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. He said, Peter preaches up, picks it up, Psalm 118. He, he picks up a prophecy in Psalm 118 that tells us that the stone would be rejected of the builders. And he says, Jesus was the stone. He said, You remember that stone back in the days where the temple was built? Now, I think it was Solomon's, and I'm not real sure on the history of that, but I believe it was Solomon's temple. There was a stone that the builders looked at and said, this stone is of no use. Get rid of it. And they took it and they cast it down the hill. And when it came time for them to set the cornerstone, no stone that they could find would work. And they went and they got that old useless stone that they had thrown away and said was not, it wasn't, it's not in our plans. It's not in our plans. It's, it's useless to us. They found that stone that they said was not in their plans and was useless to them was the only stone that would work for the corner. And Peter said, he's the stone. He's the capstone. He's the cornerstone of the whole building. And you didn't want him. You didn't put him into your plans. And you thought he was useless. But he is the chief cornerstone of God Almighty. He's the one that the church is going to be built on. Not Moses, but Jesus Christ. Oh my, boy, you just got to put yourself in... You, I want to take you, if I can, in the, in the spirit right now to put you there before the Sanhedrin court and just see how quiet they are. Do you realize all they had to do was send somebody that instant down to that old tomb? All they had to do was provide the body of Jesus Christ and the conversation would be over and Peter and John would be stoned to death for bringing a false prophecy. Why didn't they jump up and run down there to that old tomb and get the body of Jesus? Because the body of Jesus, and they knew it, the body of Jesus was not there. <laughs> so you know they're really, they're, oh man, they're, they're nervous as, as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You see, they're quiet. 
response is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection. Did you hear what I said? Because if anybody could prove that Jesus had not risen from the dead by getting His body, it would have been them. But they couldn't find the body because the body wasn't there. He had risen from the dead. I'm telling you, their silence is the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, this is the song which is said it not to you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Woo! Glory to God, man. You, I guarantee you they're under conviction now. And then he says in verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. You cannot get to God. You cannot know God outside of Jesus Christ. The only way to get to God, the only way to know God is Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation. Listen, He's telling them, you cannot be saved. You're religious. You claim to be the priest. You're the, claim, you're the spiritual shepherds of us. You are the religious authority and you are the civil authority and the spiritual authority of all the land. You have power and authority. What you says goes and people obey what you tell them. But you cannot be saved without the one you murdered. And be it known that God raised him from the dead. And you don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. And you don't believe in the Spirit, but His Spirit has intervened and, and healed this man. Amen. And that message to them is a message for the whole world. Neither is there salvation in any other. Any other. You cannot be saved by Moses. You must be saved by Jesus. Moses pointed to Him. Moses was a servant in his house. Jesus was the son over his house. He means he's God. This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And who gave the name? God gave the name. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. Oh, look at this. No other name. The saving power of God is in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus, because the name of Jesus is the only name that brings salvation. It's the only way you can get to God, to know God, to be saved. The name of Jesus, because the name of Jesus is the person of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God gave the name. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Wow. You religious leaders cannot be saved without Him. But the offering is there. The offering's there. If you will repent and be converted. But I will tell you that on all the Bible, you will have Pharisees that come into the kingdom, but not one Sadducee in all of the Bible ever came to Christianity. 
I'm not saying there never was one, but I'm saying in the Bible you have no record of a Sadducee ever coming into Christianity. Not one. They're satisfied with their religion. They predetermine what they're going to believe and you cannot change their minds. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, say the boldness. And it doesn't mean they just, they saw the courage of these men. It means when they heard the clarity of their speaking. Okay? They, they knew there was some power behind what he was saying and, and they could discern the clarity of what he was saying. And so it wasn't just that they had courage. They, they were clear about what they were saying. They're pointing the finger at them and telling them, you're guilty of murdering the Christ of God. God raised him from the dead. You don't even believe in resurrection. You, you're the priest of God, you claim. They saw the boldness of Peter and John proceed that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Unlearned and ignorant men. That doesn't mean they didn't know that Old Testament. Peter and John knew that Old Testament in and out. They knew it. It doesn't mean they were uneducated in the things of God. They knew that Old Testament. What it means is that they had not sat in the rabbinic schools. They had not sat. Are y'all with me at the feet of the rabbis? As far as I can tell. It's hard to determine exactly what all that means. But in their, in their, let me put it to you this way. When these Sanhedrin men, 71, 70 plus the high priest, they're the theologians of the day. Let me put it to you that way. Because I don't want to read it in the scripture and tell you that they, they didn't, you know, have any training at all. It just says they were ignorant and unlearned is what they said. What they're saying is these are the common people of the day. These are just the commoners. These are the, these are the guys out there fishing. The commoners of the day. <laughs> but look at the boldness. Look at the courage. Look at the clarity with which they look at, look at the, the application of the events around them. Mm-mm-mm-mm. They're not like us. They're, look, we the ones, we the big shots. We the theologians. And look at the common guys standing in front of us. Fishermen. Telling us the things of God. Preaching to us how to get saved. These commoners. You understand? Thank God for the Holy Ghost. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They knew that. They had been with Jesus. How did they know they'd been with Jesus? They took knowledge that they'd been with Jesus. They might be ignorant and learned in their estimation, common people, but they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they had heard talk, they heard Jesus talk. Jesus had stood right there in that same place before. They had heard Jesus preach. They heard Jesus speak. They witnessed the works of Jesus Christ. And now you got Peter and John standing there and they're talking just like Jesus talked. And they're working just like Jesus worked. Let me tell you something. Peter, when you talk about the Holy Ghost, he didn't never take off the Holy Ghost. He ate in the Holy Ghost. He slept in the Holy Ghost. He got up in the Holy Ghost. He walked in the Holy Ghost. He talked in the Holy Ghost. Everything about him was Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. 
And so now, these ignorant and unlearned men marvel. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They're just, they just like Jesus. And the way they act and talk and what they do. They do what Jesus does. Say what? Why? Because Jesus is speaking through them. Jesus is seeing through them. Their hands become His hands. Their feet become His feet. They are the body. He's the head. You can't separate them from Jesus Christ. So when they heard them talk, they were hearing Jesus talk right back to them. They were talking. They, they heard the one they murdered just a few days ago. They heard that one that they murdered talking through them. They heard His voice. They heard His words. They saw Jesus in them. In verse 14, Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Oh, I don't know where the rest of the disciples are. I don't know why they're not standing with them and, you know, and finding out what well, hey our buddies got thrown in jail last night let's go check on them <laughs> they're going before the Sanhedrin court today let's let them go But there's that one man that was healed. And I started this whole thing out talking about appreciation. And this man appreciated what God did for him. And this man appreciated Jesus Christ. And this man appreciated Peter and John. This man appreciated what God had done for him. And this man going to stand right there with them and stand in front of that old religious hierarchy. That old religious hierarchy. They couldn't say anything against it. Because they knew a notable miracle had been done. Well, why would you want to say anything against it? If you love your religion more than you love your God, you will say things against the supernatural moves of God. You will say things against the miracles. You will say things against the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Y'all, You hear what I'm telling you right now. If you love your religion more than you love your God, why would you want to say something against it? Why would you want to fight this? Why would you want to take a stand against it? Doesn't make sense, does it? Let me tell you something. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Essenes, they didn't love God. They loved their religion. Not every, every Pharisee was bad. Not every Essene was bad, okay? I want to tell you something. For the most part, they love their religion more than they love their God. Religious flesh is a very dangerous thing. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could not say they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. We gotta get a. We gotta. We gotta find out what to do here. We, I gotta get with you. I gotta. Let's get together. Let's put our heads together on this one. Let's huddle up here. Let's let's discuss this. We what are we gonna do? Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost, the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, whipped that Sanhedrin that day. Whipped them. I mean, whipped the tar out of them. Hallelujah. 
When they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We've already got 5,000 more people that were baptized in Jesus' name last night. That means we've got a minimum of 8,000 people in the church within a few period, few days, you know. I mean, this thing is like a beehive. They're buzzing around everywhere. What are we going to do with these Jesus people who were later called the Nazarenes themselves? What are we going to do with them? Either they got to go or we got to go. And Peter's proved his point. He's got the, you know, He's proved his point. We can't kill him. We can't take him out and kill him as, as false prophets and false dreamers and, and bringing false signs and wonder to try to turn the heart away from God. He's pointing us back to the God of the Old Testament. The same God, not a new God. Same God. You should have known him. Okay, we're seven in here. Alright, here we go. Here's their conclusion. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Isn't that sad? That you've got a miracle standing right there. You've got an anointed man named Peter telling them that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, that he's alive from the dead. But yet you are so committed to your lie that in the face of all the evidence you say we've already predetermined we will not believe. And how many people out there today in the church world today have already made up their mind they're not going to believe what you've experienced. And there's evidence all around. Changed lives by the power of of Jesus Christ. Your life has been changed. Baptizing Jesus saying, fill the Holy Ghost. Some of you have experienced miracles in your body by the name of Jesus Christ. But we've got people who are just like these Sadducees in the face of all the evidence have already made up their mind. They're not going to believe it. I thank God I believed it. I thank God when the evidence came to me, I believed it. And I don't only, I don't listen. I don't just preach it to you. I believe what I preach. There's a lot of people, they'll preach, but they don't believe what they preach. Listen to me, my friend. I believe what I preach to you. I don't just preach it to you. I believe what I preach. I've experienced it and I believe it. We're going to just threaten them. Why don't you just get on your face and repent before God? Say, we, we blew it, man. Repent, we'll be converted. We're coming in the kingdom with you. Tell us how to, well, I wouldn't want to be baptized in Jesus' name for the Holy Ghost, you know. And No, 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 no. They just wanted to fight it. The spiritual warfare is on. The old nation's fighting the new nation. Started way back with the fall of Lucifer. Spiritual warfare. So they threatened them. You speak henceforth to no man in this name. You can talk about God all you want to, but don't preach the name of Jesus. Oh, they would talk about God. They would say they believed in God. 
But they look at these men right here and say, don't preach the name. Don't preach the name of Jesus. I'm glad I preached the name of Jesus. Results come in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness of sins comes in the name of Jesus. Salvation you telling me not to preach the name of Jesus when it's the only name that you can get saved by? You're telling me not to baptize in Jesus' name when that's the only name that will remit your sin? You claim to know God, but you don't want to preach the name of Jesus? You don't want the name of Jesus called over you? That name is the only name that will bring salvation. We preach the name, we baptize in the name, we pray for the sick in the name of Jesus. Come on. The blood's in the name of Jesus. Salvation's in the name of Jesus. Healing's in the name of Jesus. And if you say, don't preach that. Just talk about God. Get up and preach a pretty sermon. Don't ever talk about Jesus, though. Don't talk about how I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. No, 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 no. Just like the Sadducees. Got the evidence. Got the Word of God right there. But have predetermined in their minds what they believe. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Did you catch that? We can do our best to try to convince you. But if in your mind, you've already made up your mind, you're going to be of the same opinion still. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And Peter tried to convince them that day, but they refused because they had predetermined in their mind what they believed. And because of that, they condemned their own soul to damnation. Because if you reject the name of Jesus Christ, you have rejected the person of Jesus Christ and His salvation. So if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name out there, I tell you today by the Word of God, that's the only name that will save you. It's the only name that brings forgiveness of sins. It is the only name. And you can sit there and you can talk about, I got God in my heart. And I just love God. And you're living in sin. And you've never been baptized in Jesus' name. Don't you lie on God Almighty. You don't love God. You love your religion. I'm not going to let anybody judge me. I'm not going to let any... i got God in my heart. Now, if you had God in your heart, you'd get baptized in His name. You would repent and be converted. I said you would repent and be converted. You would change the way you think. You would change your lifestyle. You would have an about face. Don't talk about how you got God in your heart. You're lying. You're lying. How many people you talk to? Show them baptism in Jesus' name, they feel the Holy Ghost, you know? Salvation is only in the name of Jesus. Well, I got God in my heart. That's what matters. Really? Salvation is only in that name. I got my mind made up. I'm a this and I'm a that, denominationally speaking. I'm a this or I'm... Who cares about that? Who cares what denomination you're part of? Jesus is the only name that will save you. You can be a theologian. You can be on the the council, man. You can have the authority, religious authority, spiritual authority, civil authority, and still die and go straight to hell. That's right. Amen. Amen. They threatened them not to preach in the name of Jesus. They didn't say, don't talk about God. He said, don't preach the name of Jesus. Why? Because when they preached the name of Jesus, they were declaring that 
Jesus is alive. <laughs> you see, it wasn't just a name that did it. When that man was healed, that's in the name of Jesus, that's telling everybody that that man is alive. That man named Jesus is alive. Oh, praise God. And they were utterly convinced of this. Now watch that. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. He said, he's saying, what I'm preaching to you is because God told me to preach this to you. And you're telling me not to preach this? The name of Jesus, you're telling me not to preach this name and God told me to do what I'm doing. God told me to preach what I'm preaching. God told me to tell you what I'm telling you. God, the Holy Ghost on me in me. You judge. Is it right for me to, to go against what God told me to do? I gotta be careful I get my voice real high. I don't know if I do that, but you tell me. Judge ye. He said, you get what he said? God says, He says, God told me to do what I'm doing. God told me to tell you what I'm telling you. God told me to preach what I'm preaching to you. And you telling me not to do that? Judge you. Judge ye, if that's right. You don't want to hear what you're saying. Well, you can put your fingers in your ears, it's not going to help you. You fold your heart like that. That's not going to help you, man. You're going to split hell right open. You get mad and quit, leave the church, walk out. It's not going to help you. You know what I'm saying today? He said, What is that? That thing? Some kind of musical instrument playing. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I thought, was that angels or that angels? Okay. <laughs> you know, you see what he's saying? He said, God told me to tell you what I'm telling you. God told me to preach what I'm preaching. You don't like it? I'm sorry. I'll submit to you, but I'm not going to obey you. My spirit will be right. I'll serve you in love, but I'm not going to obey you. Because that's going to go against what God told me to tell you. It's going to go against what God told me to do. Oh, he's bold, isn't he? Start talking about, you know. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Mistake number however many. <laughs> the fact that they let them walk out of that meeting that day in such a short period of time with no consequence was preaching a message. We can't do anything about this. We've already made up our mind what we're going to believe. But we're going to have to let you go. And when they walked out of that council that day, that was the greatest testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I assure you, if they could have proved those men wrong, they would have killed them that day. Peter was preaching for his life. And they couldn't prove it. They couldn't produce the body of Jesus Christ. And all they had was a miracle walking around in the name of Jesus.
They made huge mistakes that day, and one of them was they let him go too quick. <laughs> so they just threatened him and let him go. In verse 21, he... <clears throat> So when they had heard further threaten them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Look at that. What are we going to do, man? We're going to get stoned here. 5,000 more people added to the church right here. We've got 8,000 bees swimming around here preaching Jesus' name. Miracles breaking out all around them, you know. And, and what are we going to do? They're going, these people are going to kill us if we don't let them go. They're going to take us and stone us to death. They had to let them go. People. People. The church, man. Power of the church. And then it goes on to tell us, oh yeah, for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. He's, Jesus is using God. Jesus is using this man as a sign to that old nation of Israel. You can be healed just like this cripple. You can be forgiven. Come on. You can come to the kingdom of God Come on, are y'all here with me right now? Ooh, isn't that awesome? He's old Israel. Forty years old. Beautiful, isn't it? Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company. Hallelujah. Let them go. Where'd they go when they let them go? Where'd they go when they let them go? They went back and fellowship with people that believed the same way they believed. They went back to people who worshipped the same way they worshipped. They went back to the church. And they told the church what had happened there. They witnessed and testified what had happened there. i got to get with it here. The Bible says, And being let go, they went to their what? Own company. Say own company. Thank God for the church of the living God. When you come under persecution, you come under suffering, you know, you've been out there preaching the gospel and people spitting on you and all kinds of things. Go back to the church. Get, get back among people that believe the same way you believe, that worship the same way you worship. The Jesus name, one God, Holy Ghost people. Get back with those kind of people and pray with them and praise with them and prophesy with them. And experience the power of God with them. The same kind of people that you are that believe the same way. That's where these disciples went. They went to their own kind. Thank God for the church. They reported all the chief priests and those that said unto them and when they heard, they, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. It's awesome. What do they do? They start praying. They lift their voice to God in one accord. Say one accord. These people, one accord, one mind, one heart, one soul, one spirit, one emotion, one accord. No wonder they had revival. When they were persecuted, they went back to the church, they just had a prayer meeting. They just started praying together. One mind, one accord, one soul, one spirit, one emotion. All together in unity there. There was no division in that church. There was unity in that church. There was power in that church. Hallelujah. Fighting each other. They're fighting the old nation. The old nation's fighting them. They're not fighting each other. That's why they had revival. There was unity there. Fight. You want to fight? Don't fight me. 
You want to fight, don't fight each other. You want to fight, fight the devil. Get in the church and get some unity. Get some prayer behind you. Get some power. Get something going up. Come on, somebody. In the name of Jesus. And if you'll do what they did, you'll have revival like they had. You ought to sit around. Fight all day long. Fight each other. Fight each other. Fight the church. Fight the pastor. Fight, fight, fight. That's all you want to do is fight. That's why you don't have revival like they had. You had you do what they did here, we'd have revival like they had. They had unity. Spirit. Maybe it'll take persecution hitting this church. Persecution hitting the church of the living God for us to get together on this. Get together on this. Sometimes some good things come out of persecution. Preaching came out of persecution. Peter's second message. Power came out of it. Prayer meeting came out of persecution. Worship came out of persecution. That that church got refilled with power. And they started witnessing for signs and miracles and wonders. A good thing came out of persecution. Maybe you need some persecution in your life to put you into the church the way you ought to be in the church. Drive you into prayer like you should be praying. And worship like you should be worshiping. And prophesying like you should be prophesying. Maybe persecution is what is needed for the church of America to get unity in the church. We're too religious. We don't want to admit it. Too religious. When they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Those Sadducees, those religious leaders, they're just a council. You're the Creator. All they believe in is in the physical, natural world. You're the Spirit that created the natural, physical world. They don't believe you intervened in time and, and they don't believe in divine intervention. You're the one who created everything. You created time. You see what they're doing? In contrast to what they had just faced, they go straight to the God of creation. Let me tell you this. You've got to get a perspective on things. Get a, they got a perspective on things. When you get persecuted, get a perspective on things. Get in the church and say, God, you're the creator. They're nothing but a little group of people. They're nothing but a council. They're religious leaders, spiritual leaders, and, and they're civil leaders, but they're nothing compared to you, God. you got to get a perspective on what's happening with you. He's the great God of creation. Jesus is His name. And when you compare what you go through, that little persecution you go through, it's nothing when you look at this great God of creation. Get your perspective right. They got their perspective right. They went to their own company and got their perspective. Ooh, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the absolute ruler. We can't obey them. We'll submit to them in love, but we can't obey them because he's the absolute ruler. He's the Lord. He's the God of creation. You hear what I'm telling you today? That, oh, this is powerful. This word Lord here is very unique in the New Testament. It doesn't just mean master. It's, it, it literally means despot. He's the absolute ruler. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the king over this nation. We're a part of a new kingdom, a new nation. That old nation's fighting this new nation, this kingdom. The Jews fighting Jews. 
Come on, somebody. Amen. Persecuting the church of the living God. Persecuting your brothers and sisters. Yes. Throwing your Jesus' name brothers and sisters into a prison cell. Threatening them not to preach the name of Jesus. Your brothers and sisters. Right. Amen. They just got the right perspective on the whole thing. God, Jesus, He's God. He's the Creator. He's the Lord. He's the absolute ruler. They have spiritual authority. They're spiritual shepherds, but... And civil authority and religious authority, but we're going to obey God. Right, oh, give the Lord praise in the house. Look at him, look at him. Watch him. They're going to keep on praying. They're praying the word of God. Okay, I should have. I mean, calm down. I'm sorry. I'm going to talk to you, okay? Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus. Now he goes on, he applies that Psalm 2 passage to Jesus Christ. He said these rulers are standing up against the Christ of God. That's what we've just experienced. Are y'all here right now? Ooh, man, this is awesome. See, David prophesied about this. Jesus said it would happen. He said, I don't even think about what you're going to say. He said, when you stand before them, they condemn you to death. He said, don't even think about what you're going to say. He said, I'll fill your mouth with what to say. I'll tell you what to say. I'll give you what to say. You understand? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go to Psalm 2. I'm, I'm almost done. Next hour or two. Look at this psalm he's quoting from. The whole psalm really is on the mind of, of these people as they're praying. Creator, He's the Lord, the absolute ruler. He's Psalm 2. The background of Psalm 2 is the world in rebellion against God. Gog, G-O-G, in rebellion against Gog is standing behind the passage in Psalm 2. Jewish scholars said you could see Gog standing behind Psalm 2. Rebellion against God Almighty. Gog the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. The Spirit of God standing there at the cross. When did they rage against Jesus Christ? Why did the heathen raise the people to imagine a vain thing? When did that happen? The crucifixion when they crucified Him. They raged. They poured the wrath out on them. On Jesus Christ. The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, when did that happen? When they crucified Him on the cross. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't want the fetters of His love. We don't want the bondage of His will and purpose in our life. Some people just say, that's just bondage. Holiness, that's bondage. What they're doing is say, we don't want the bondage of His purpose and will in our life. We don't want the fetters of His love in our life. The Bible says, let us break our, their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't want the fetters of His love nor the, the cords of the bondage of His will and purpose in our life. He goes on and He says, Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Remember Peter's preaching to that crowd. He said, if you don't believe, you'll be judged by this one. But this takes you, this is, this, this is a psalm that goes to the crucifixion. He said, He'll speak to you in His wrath. Oh yeah, that's in the future. 
But He spoke to them when they hung the Christ of God up on that cross. They spoke Jesus. God spoke to them when He poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ. He declared to the nations the wrath of God was coming on Jesus Christ. He spoke to them at the cross. He poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in the sword of pleasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. I'll raise him from the dead. He's going to ascend up. He's going to sit on the throne, the holy hill. Oh, this is awesome, isn't it? I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Look at this. He said, It's rightfully yours. Because you died for the world. You can ask for the world. It's rightfully yours because you paid the price for the world. He's preaching the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Peter, they're praying about it. They're lifting that prayer up before God. They know what's going on here. That they are in union with Jesus Christ, the one who fills this, fulfills this song. They are the body of Jesus Christ. And they as the body of Jesus Christ in union with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Those prophets saw things. They saw Jesus coming in His suffering. They saw Jesus coming in His glory. But they did not see the body of Christ. They didn't see you in union with Jesus Christ. They didn't see that. They saw His suffering. They saw His glory. But they didn't see a body of believers coming in there and being connected to this Messiah in this spiritual way. And this psalm now is being applied. They're, they're praying this psalm. And you know what He said? Ask of me and I shall give the heathen for thine inheritance. Is it Jesus? He has a right. He died for the lost. But who is it that's asking? It's His body, the church, asking. In His name that the heathen be brought into the kingdom. That in His name that man could be raised up to walk. It's the body of Jesus Christ in union with the head. And they know it. They know it. In Acts chapter 4, they start praying, Who by the mouth of thy servant David said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? That's the cross. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that look at this, they're asking now. He's asking. They're asking. The body in union with the head is asking now. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Give us the boldness to go out there and ask for the key then. Give us the boldness to go out there and preach. Let us don't be let us don't fall into fear and intimidation. Let us don't fail in this mission because we're full of fear and because we're intimidated. Give us boldness. Don't let fear win and become and bring us to failure. We can't fail here because of fear. Give us boldness. Don't let fear stop us. Don't let persecution stop us. Don't let intimidation stop us. We know you're sitting on the throne and we know we're in union with you and now we're going for it. We're asking for the heathen to come into the kingdom. We can't fail 
The only thing that will stop us, the only thing that will cause us to fail is intimidation and fear. Give us boldness over that. We've been threatened. We give in to the threats. And now, Lord, behold, they're threatening. See, they, here's what they say. They, they say, okay, God, you look at it. We're just going to give it to you, God. Okay, you know there's been threatening us. You know they threatened us. If we preach in the name of Jesus. You know. Lord, here, you're omniscient. You know. We'll let you take care of it. That's what they did. They knew. They knew. They knew what they believed. And they were praying for the boldness and the courage to go on in the, in the face of threatening. What would you and I do if they threatened us? He said, you preach the name of Jesus anymore, you'll be in jail by tomorrow. Persecution. What would you do? They just went to praying and worshiping. And these praying people and worshiping people, lifting up the Creator God, knowing who He is, and, the, and, and getting a perspective on, on that situation versus who they serve, and knowing that Jesus Christ is the one who died, was buried, rose again the third day, is set on the holy hill of Mount Zion, and connecting in the head with them. And now they're going out and they're asking for boldness, not, not to give in to those threats. We're not even threatened, but how much so when do we do? Nobody's even ever come to us and said, don't preach in His name. But yet we don't. What are we intimidated? We need to get locked in and pray. We need to get a perspective on the Lord. He is the absolute ruler. Jesus is the God of creation. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Psalm 2 of David. You hear what I'm telling you? We need to pray like they pray. Get the perspective they had. We're not even, we're not even threatened with persecution. But yet we're intimidated. Unity here in this body. He says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Give it to you to see. You're omniscient. You know everything. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Your holy servant. Come on, somebody. And when they had prayed, they were in unity, they were praying, they were praising God. And when that unity and that prayer and that praise was lifted to God, the Bible says the place where they were was shaken. And remember those Sadducees did not believe in anything but the physical. They did not believe in the Spirit. And now the Spirit of God, the invisible, is shaking a visible place. It's shaking the house. Let me tell you something. We'll get unity like they were. If we'll pray like they prayed. If we'll praise like they prayed. If we'll prophesy like they prophesied. Then you will get the results that they had. And I'll tell you what. The, sh the place that you're in will be shaken by the power of God. Yes, Lord. place was shaking where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness 
I thought they were already filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, maybe there were some in that company there that weren't filled with the Holy Ghost yet. But when they prayed, if there was anybody in that place that wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And at that moment, they entered into the dimension of the Spirit. We'll say, well, I thought that was talking about people who are already filled with, the day, filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. You're reading into that text. Because the Bible says when they were all filled on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That is a state of being. You don't come in and out of that. That's where you are. You are in a state of baptized with the Holy Ghost. So anybody that wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost... They were filled with the Holy Ghost then. Well, okay, let's, let's take another step here. Let's say that these people uh, who were filled with the Holy Ghost were baptized with the Holy Ghost are already born of the Spirit. Does that mean when they got baptized in the Holy Ghost are filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost that God only gave them a partial filling? No, when God gives you the baptism of the Holy Ghost, He don't give you a partial filling. He fills you with the Holy Ghost. But there's only one baptism of the Spirit and there's only one birth. If I'm refilled with the Spirit, that simply means I don't get more of God because God gave me the fullness. Come on somebody. When He filled you with the Spirit, He didn't give you part of the filling. He filled you. He didn't give you a partial filling and put you on probation and said if you're a good girl, a good boy, after a while I'll give you some more. When He gave you the Holy Ghost, He gave you all of Himself. He didn't give you a part of a filling. He filled you with the Holy Ghost if you got baptized with the Spirit. When you got born of the Spirit, He didn't put you on probation and then give you a little more. We think about being filled like liquid, like water. What does it mean then? One baptism of the Spirit, one birthing of the Spirit. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, you didn't get a partial filling. You got filled with the Spirit. There's only one baptism of the Spirit. You could say there are many fillings of the Spirit in this sense. You're controlled by the Spirit. Did you catch what I said? You're not getting more of God. He's not filling up the glass with more of Himself. He gave you this. So if you're filled with the Spirit, that means you're under the control of the Spirit. You're fully under the control of the Holy Ghost. You've emptied self of self. And God's got more of you. That's, that, that's what it means. You don't get a new baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't get a new birth in your born. You got filled. When you got filled, you got filled. But are you under the control of the Holy Ghost? That's what being refilled means to be under the control of the Holy Ghost. You see some drunk out there. You say he's under the control of liquor. Or he's filled with liquor, right? That guy's filled with liquor. No, he's not. He can drink one more. But when you said he's filled with liquor, you're saying he's controlled by liquor. He's controlled by the alcohol. One baptism of the Spirit is all you'll ever get. One birth of the Spirit is all you'll get. And when you receive His Spirit, He gave you not a part filling. But there's many refillings in the sense that you and I empty self of self and become more under the control of the Holy Ghost. 
they came under the control of the Holy Ghost. Oh, not not liquor, but the Holy Ghost. That's what that that's what that means. Okay, I'm not saying you have to agree with me. You can come in here and your cup's empty, and God will pour some more of Himself in you. That's not what this is. How many of you understand when you got the Spirit of the Living God in you, He didn't give you a partial filling? How many of you understand there's only one baptism and one birth of the Spirit? So there's something that's happening. I'm I'm become aware of the Spirit that's in me. I'm supernatural moving of God in me. I'm yielding my mind, my heart, my will, myself to Him. That's when some of you need to get filled with the Spirit today. Not in the sense of baptism or not in the sense of birthing, but in the sense you need to get God controlling your life. You need to empty self of self and let God take over. Get let God, let the Holy Ghost take over your life. That's what that means. That's what that means. I don't got I don't have more of God right now than I did two hours ago. Do you understand that? Nor do you. He's got more of me. That's right. Amen. There's some doubts had to get out of me. There's some stuff. There's some self. There's some, there, it, God had to... Come on, are you telling me? Intimidation, whatever. It had to get that out of me. Boldness comes. Confidence. He's under control. That's what that means. So they were all filled. So they got a new feeling of power in the sense that they're now in the control of God. I'm coming to a close. When they had prayed, the place was shaking where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart. Look at this. That means they have one emotion, one mind, one will, and one soul. That means they literally, what he's saying, one spirit. Unity there. Their emotion, their attitude's right, their heart's right. Their wills are right with each other, with God. Their spirit's right. They're one, one, one. One accord, one soul, one heart. One, one, one. Unity in that place. How many of y'all want what happened there that day? I'm closing at that verse. And a multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul, neither said any of them that they are that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things konania, common. And that sets the stage for the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. For hypocrisy to move into the church. And God will deal with the hypocrisy in the church. And when He does, when He deals with the hypocrisy in the church, that's not showing the weakness of the church, it's showing the strength of the church. When Ananias and Sapphira lay dead in the church house because of their hypocrisy and lying to the Holy Ghost, that showed the strength of the church, not the weakness of the church. And so these next few verses are setting the stage for Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Hallelujah. God is good.